What's up, everyone, and welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 37. Can't believe we've gotten there already. Today's episode is with my dear friend, Madeline Griffin. Madeline is a wonderful, wonderful human who has gone through a just plethora of interesting experiences in her life. Currently working for Aubrey Marcus, and she also runs a company called Conscious Curious that kind of acts as an entry point for people into the spirituality realm. In this episode, we talk about her recent ayahuasca experience, and we go super deep into all the details of that, which I always love and get super, super interested by. And we talk a little bit about her and her life, and I think you'll really enjoy this one. If you do, please consider leaving a beautiful, beautiful comment on iTunes that helps us grow the podcast, a review, and also sharing it out with a friend if you know someone who could use this episode or any episode. Ping it out to someone, and if you like the episode, share it on Instagram and tag me at Alexander Diesel so I can repost your story. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right into this episode. Well, Madeline, thank you for being on the podcast and welcome. If you can give everyone a little bit of an intro of who you are, what you do, and kind of how we know each other. Thanks for having me. Um, Alex and I have been talking about this back and forth a few times, so I'm excited to finally be on the podcast. Um, My name is Madeline Griffin. I professionally am the event planner for Fit for Service and for Aubrey Marcus. Um, That's how Alex and I know each other. He has been one of our longest standing members. So it's probably been about three years. Coming up on that. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, I have a platform called Conscious Curious, which for me was just kind of my way of giving myself a kick in the pants to start exploring a little bit more um, into the consciousness space, into the spirituality space, into figuring out what I'm interested in and how to find the people that can help me along that path. And with that, it has kind of transformed a little bit into how I can now help people do the same who are a little bit, a little bit newer in that, in that space. So that's me. Yeah, I love it. I think it's such an important thing. It's something I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about is that oftentimes with spirituality, there, there's this like assumption built in that you're already on the 10th rung of the ladder. And most people are not. And I certainly wasn't when I began. So having those access points of like, okay, here's the first rung you can grab. And then you can yeah, get to most the 10th. People- most people are paralyzed mm. looking up at the first rung. Right. You got terms that was, you don't understand. You got like, what are these people talking about? Yeah, it's super, um, it can feel really clicky and really unattainable and just really scary to look at. A lot of people have that curiosity inside of them of, you know, if they know someone who's on a more spiritual path, a lot of times people will see that and think like, oh, they seem really happy. 
There's something that I know about them that has shifted, but to dive into something that is super unknown and creates a lot of fear keeps them from even starting to explore. You don't actually have to do anything, but even, even being open to the idea of exploring some of those things can feel really scary. And it certainly did for me for a long time. So kind of helping people to understand that there's, there's a lot of joy and there can be a lot of play um, feels really accessible to me. And that's definitely the way that, that felt good to me starting out. So here I am just trying to be the coach that I needed five years ago. So I think, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think often people, at least those that I speak to, there can be this fear built in and the fear is often, I don't want to lose who I am. And when you think about a big experience like ayahuasca, which you just came back from, I totally want to talk about in a little bit, um, or just a mushroom ceremony or any sort of intense like inner work experience there's this fear of like, well, what if I lose myself and I don't come back as the same person? And so some of these other ways of doing things like an ecstatic dance or fucking sound healing, it's like you go in a little more confident, like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to go to an ecstatic dance and completely lose who I am. I might find some new things out, but I'm not going to dissolve my ego completely. And those are like the inroads to the psyche that allow you to start to feel safe. Totally. It's, absolutely terrifying to feel like the person you've known your whole life could die. Hmm. That's not, that's not the first step for the majority of people. Hmm. That's asking people to go through an experience that most are not prepared for and don't have the preparation to integrate. And so those, those smaller baby steps of, um, of really just even, you know, listening and starting to become really curious and not even having to take that first step of doing anything yet. Um, I think that can, can ease people in Mm -hmm. and also give them the choice, you know, like, especially if you're, if you're surrounded by sort of a half and half group, people who are taking part in some of those experiences and then some people who aren't, um, the pressure mm. from a friend group or whatever can feel really intense to, you know, take part in a psychedelic experience or even do an ecstatic dance, which for a lot of people, it, that's a really big thing to dance sober and to express yourself in your body is like, Oh God, no, thank you. Mm. Um, so really just giving people the information and allowing them to make the choice on their own feels, um, feels like the most important piece to me in that beginning part. Mm, Absolutely. So walk me through a little bit about your path was like coming to spirituality or whatever we want to term it as kind of what was your first footsteps that led into that and how it blossomed? Yeah, I, I have always kind of had a little bit of a a desire for knowing more about what this is, this life, this whatever. I remember as a child, I told this story recently to someone. I remember as a child 
going outside, I think I was probably letting the dog out into the backyard and like looking up at the moon and having this true first like existential crisis of, oh my God, I'm so small. And just that, I, I mean, that was early, maybe, I don't know, maybe pre 10 years old and just having this feeling of, oh my God, there's a lot out there. And I think that that kind of stuck with me. I started doing yoga when I was in high school, not a lot, but I think I was probably one of the only people that have, had ever been to a yoga class at that point. Um, in college, I got more into yoga and then I did a yoga teacher training in my early 20s. Um, I went to India and did that because I'm, I'm an all or nothing kind of gal. Um, and then I got a job at Onnit. And that for me was actually more, I, I was thinking I wanted to be in the fitness space. Um, I was an event planner. I had sort of been trying to meld the two things together of how can I, how can I take my interest in fitness and health and wellness more so and blend that with a practical tool, which I have, which is event planning. And so I got a job at Onnit um, and honestly just was lucky enough that that was what fell in my lap. <clears throat> I started planning events for Aubrey Marcus. He did some, some mastermind weekends back in the day and then fit for service came about. And that was the true turning point for me for being immersed in a community of people who were really, really committed and curious mm. about what's here. Yeah. And for a really long time, I judged the shit out of it. I was like, I am happy to be around it, but I'm not going to take part in absolutely anything. <laughs> like I will just stand on the sidelines and watch people do breath work. And... I remember this version of Maddie, by the way, for this listening. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I, I was super judgmental and that comes from a place of fear. Mm. It's the fear of, you know, having, having an experience that was really unknown to me, not knowing how that would make me feel, not knowing how I would change afterwards, the, you know, fear of perception of other people, um, fear of perception by my family. Um, and it's not like we were doing anything crazy. We were doing breath work and we were doing, you know, eye gazing, which is terrifying for someone who's never done it. Um, but the fear of like truly being seen by mm. another person um, was the thing that I had tried not to do my entire life. Like, how can I create a mask of who I want to be and how I want to be seen? Mm. And the idea to take that mask off and be truly seen by a group of people was like, <laughs> no, yeah. no. I'm not in control of the narrative anymore. Yeah. Like, that's an insane choice to make when I've spent all this time and energy building up a wall that right. I don't want people to see really behind. shiny narrative. Like, this yes. mask is dope. Do you see it? Exactly. And then to take that mask off and be, like, truly, you know, makeup free, not literally, but just so seen was just terrifying to me. And it took, you know, it took basically the first two years of working for Fit for Service um, and being in that space for me to finally decide, 
why the hell am I here if I'm not going to do the damn thing? Mm. And the great thing about it is that the, the coworkers and friends and community that I have let me do that. And they were like, when you're ready, we're ready. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me was the thing that kind of helped me to be able to, you know, it helped me to be able to understand where other people might be at. And I think that's, that's where I'm coming from in feeling into my journey of how scary that felt, not pushing people into something and truly just meeting them where they are and saying, here we are and I'm ready ready. when you're ready. So yeah, for me, that's been, it's been a long journey and it's still very much happening. I feel like I've entered into it's like the exponential curve of like, oh, you're just a little bit. And now I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it makes me think of like those first two years of fit for service for you are kind of like when you want to learn Spanish or something, you can learn it at home with a book or you can go like in an immersion. <laughs> and for the first <laughs> couple of weeks of the immersion, you're like, I don't fucking understand what anyone's saying. Yeah, I was on Duolingo for the first yeah. two years. <laughs> Eventually you catch on. You're like, okay, I speak this language. Maybe what they're saying has some validity to it. Maybe some of this stuff makes some sense. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But you really have to experience that for yourself to believe it. Mm-hmm. Like I saw all the people that came through Fit for Service, hundreds of people at this point who were having massive transformations and huge amounts of, you know, growth and breaking themselves down and building themselves up. And I was like, surely that works, but Mm. it won't work for me. And until I just made the leap and tried, you know, I just didn't believe it. And I mean, I did a little bit, but it, it makes a big difference when you can, you know, have the courage to truly take that leap and see, see the proof Mm. for yourself and like feel it in your body. And that was the change for me. Mm. Yeah, I think each of us holds on to our, a, a really critical piece of most of our masks is this like uniqueness. And sometimes that uniqueness plays such a negative role in our life because it tells us that story of, well, they're having breakthroughs, but like, I'm different. Like, don't you know about me? I'm the hard case. There's no way you'd be able to break through for me. I'm truly, truly fucked up. Like those people over there, good for them. And it kind of separates us in that way because then we never even put our first foot in and go, okay, well, what if like, what if I'm not actually that fucked up? Like, what if I can change? And it's really all up to me. Yeah. I think, uh, and people come to this in two, one of two ways back to an earlier point of there's the sort of finally you see enough of it, or you just feel like, maybe there's more to life. And so you take a step towards it and then you start to see a little bit of result and you're like, oh shit. And then there's also the other end of the spectrum, which is actually how I came to spirituality in the first place, which is like full despondency, like near suicidality where I'm like, oh, something needs to change. And for me, that was doing something I don't recommend to people, which is took five grams of mushrooms alone in my room in the dark with no music and just fucking went for it. (laughs) Don't try that one. (laughs) Um, But there was a piece of that where I was like, 
I had reached a breaking point where I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm willing to try whatever. So it's like my ego at that point had dissolved enough to where it was like, even it was looking at me going, okay, dude's in pain. Maybe we should try some other tactics. And yeah, getting sick of your own shit is a big, a big driver. Mm, absolutely. So you go through the first couple of years to fit for service. Finally, you buy in. You're like, fuck it. Let's see how this goes. And what were the first like critical moments, if you can think of any, that you're like, I remember that one day where that thing happened. And that was like, a quantum leap forward for you? Well, I took mushrooms for the first time. <laughs> that was definitely a quantum leap. Mm. But, you know, out of the psychedelic space, um, I, there really was a moment um, last, I guess, probably early fall of 2020, where I wrote in my journal, I remember the exact day, where I literally wrote, I'm so sick of my own shit. Mm -hmm. Like I had spent so long in this community feeling like maybe this, this growth and this change is just happening by osmosis. Maybe everyone else is changing and growing and that will just happen to me even though I'm not doing absolutely anything to change anything. Mm -hmm. Just hoping that that was the case. And I sat down and I thought to myself, I'm so sick of your bullshit right now. Like, why are you continuing to just take this easy path that actually feels really bad? Mm. And at that point, I spent the first money that I had ever spent on a mastermind, um, I mean, I've been involved in fit for service, but I'm not a member. Right. Um, and so I don't get that full experience. I don't get to, you know, I don't get to take part in the majority of the things that we do. Um, and so I spent the first money, a couple thousand dollars on a mastermind. And I thought to myself, okay, well, if this doesn't, if this doesn't push you to try and to do something, I don't know what will. Because if anything, money will drive me. Like if I spend a good amount of money, I'm committed. Absolutely. So that was really a turning point for me. And at that point, I was able to immerse myself without thinking about, you know, work and that kind of thing. And the perception of, you know, there was a piece of me working for fit for service and that still exists for sure. Um, how much can I be seen by this group and also still be seen as professional and that I have my shit together and that people will still respect me in a professional way. Like, can I sit across from an entire group of people and cry my eyes out and be really vulnerable and then have people respect me when I'm telling them something Guys, else? Come on, get the fuck out of here. We got to go. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's always kind of been that that give and take for me. And so being in a mastermind where I was able to truly just participate was incredible for me. Um, and I think from there, it really was just a, a landslide of me trying and starting, mm -hmm. not always succeeding, but to give up that control of how am I perceived? How does this mask look? Mm -hmm. Will people judge me? 
what will that look like, et cetera. And so it just took me a while and releasing the judgment of, of that too, of just, you know, there's no timeline on any of this. And I think the, the comparison game of where other people are at, you know, the spiritual community is not all sunshine and roses in terms of people being understanding and people having this like all love and light mentality. Like there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of comparison and there's a lot of, there's a lot of darkness there too. Um, and, you know, making it about yourself and being able to at every turn feel into what feels right for you, regardless of how it's going to be perceived and regardless of other people's input has been really important for me. And like, that's cultivating a sense of, you know, trusting myself and my intuition mm. that has been the only thing that's getting me to, to where I am day by day. So. Yeah. It strikes me. I was on a, a men's call the other day and I was just sharing. I was like, fuck, I feel like I should be further than this. You know, all the self judgments that pop up. And one of the other members who's significantly older than me went, Alex, you're 30. <laughs> what the fuck? And I'm like, huh? You know what? You're right. <laughs> Fair enough. And if you, if you asked your 28 year old self and your 26 year old self and your 20 year old self, you'd be thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. You'd be like, wow, look at you crushing it. Nailing it. That's why reading those old journal entries is so important sometimes because we lose sight of how far we've actually come. Because you're always just focused on where you are right now and where's the next thing. But I like I'll read back on old journal entries and like, oh, you sweet, sweet child. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Look at you. Poor thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a um, you know, we we get into a a mindset of only looking forward. And, you know, I don't think it's that helpful always to look at the past either, but to take some of that into consideration when you get into that comparison trap is super helpful. And I don't read my old, old journals. I think I um, have the seared, embarrassing memories of what I've written in my mind. Um, and so I know what I wrote, <laughs> but yeah, thinking about those kinds of things and being like, wow, you were struggling mm. with a lot of things that you're no longer struggling with. And how cool is that? Like, I just don't even think about a lot of things that I used to struggle with. So Absolutely. yeah, we can lose. We miss those them. pieces. Yeah. It's so easy to lose sight of them because they're not, you know, we're, we're kind of like, oriented towards like well what's causing me pain now what's this new thing okay fuck well it still feels overwhelming and scary and that can be the piece of the spiritual path that's uh often not exciting for people to hear is like you just get new tasks but you get more confident in your ability to handle them so it's no longer like fuck can i do this it's like okay i know i can do this <laughs> let's go for it yeah. I mean, the spiritual path is really just a practice. And the thing that I've always loved about yoga is that it's called a practice mm. and there's no goal. It's literally the goal is the practice. It's just the doing it. Mm. It's the consistency. It's the stillness. It's the being. And there's 
you know, if you can get your mind to a place of, I'm not actually trying to get anywhere, that's really helpful. It can be also a little alarming because you're like, well, why am I here then? (laughs) But there's something about that that's really helpful to just be, you know, I'm just trying to do the next right thing. Mm. Yeah, there's a simplicity and a beauty in that. I often think of it as I'm just trying to, like if my higher self is standing slightly above and behind me, I'm trying to have him and I be in as close of alignment as possible. It's not about the external, what I'm doing. It's, is what I'm doing a true representation of my truest, highest, best purpose, sort of in that Charles Eisenstein, beautiful quote of just like, may I be put to good use? Like, Mm. may I be in clear concordance with that? And everything I do is like, when I look for the span of my life, it's been focused on like, okay, let's clear that channel out a little bit so I can get very clear and take steps that are in alignment and have the trust. Um, So yeah, I'd love to hear about your ayahuasca journey, if you want to share. (laughs) And feel free to meander the story whatever direction feels poignant for you share as much or as little as you want but something that's endlessly curious to me because i remember so vividly my first experiences and just how it's like oh oh this is a thing holy shit yeah i don't think there's any other way to to sort of tell your ayahuasca experience without being meandering um well So I've been around people who've done a lot of plant medicine for a long time, and I was pretty resistant to it for a while. Like I said, for a long time, like I will never do mushrooms. That sounds horrible. And then I did mushrooms and it was amazing. And that was just, that was about a year ago. And in this last year, I maybe, I maybe did, did the you know, I went a little crazy. Everyone does. Not, yeah. But I did mushrooms and then I did bufo and then I did ayahuasca all in a year. Um, I spaced them out a lot, but I started feeling the call to ayahuasca when in, in my dream space. Mm-hmm. And then I just knew I've been friends with Eric Godsey long enough that I know that your dreams are also reality and there's something to be learned in that space. And so when I started to feel that call to ayahuasca, I, you know, kind of just resigned to it and said, you know, this is what, this is what's coming next. The fear that physically lived in my body was so intense. I woke up every single day for, I probably knew for about six weeks I had, you know, been invited to sit with ayahuasca and then I had six weeks um, prior to flying to Costa Rica. And for that whole six weeks, pretty much, I woke up every morning and the first thought in my head, the first feeling was fear. Mm. And the first thought was panic. Mm. And um, that didn't tell me that it wasn't the right thing to do. It actually told me that it was Mm. and that there was going to be something there for me that was really intense, but I was fucking terrified. 
Um, what do you think that <laughs> I might still was? be terrified. I don't <laughs> know. Like, I don't know what happened. What do you think that fear was? If you had to like describe it as the feeling that was below the fear. Yeah, I think it's um, it's the unknown and um, loss of control. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it really boils down to those two things of what am I going to experience? What's going to come up for me? You know, ayahuasca can can unearth things that you your conscious mind does not remember or know and it doesn't even need to be remembering just there are things that you are completely unaware of that are going to come up and there's no way for you to anticipate what that's going to be and for me as someone who is professionally a planner Mm. i'm like uh no i need a schedule and be like this trauma is coming up okay i need so yeah I need like an emotional baggage packing list Mm -hmm. for what's going to come up in this ceremony. And you can't have that. And so that fear was like really physically living in my body. Um, And so we get to Costa Rica, the first ceremony is approaching and I'm just absolutely beside myself with fear, like trying to hold it together, talking to our friends and meanwhile inside I am just in knots and I wrote a prayer um right before ceremony and it was more of a plea than Mm -hmm. a prayer to be honest and I was truly begging ayahuasca to be gentle with me Mm -hmm. and to give me an experience that didn't completely rock my nervous system in a way where I wouldn't be able to go on with the remainder of the ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I actually, I went into it thinking that that was an intention and it wasn't an intention. It was truly, it was truly a prayer and a yeah. plea. And the difference between intention and prayer for me now yeah. <laughs> is that, prayer feels desperate, um, regardless. So went into the first ceremony, drank one cup. It was super gentle. I got exactly what I asked for. I had some, some nice dreamy watercolory, just really sweet. And it was physically energetic, but not scary. I didn't panic. Um, And thank God that was my first experience because going into my second, I felt brave. I was like, let's do this thing. I also felt a little bit of, I felt a little bit of FOMO because my first experience was not that deep Mm. and we only had three. Um, And so going into my second one, I was feeling brave and I was like, all right, let's do this thing. Let's, you know, people had some really intense experiences on the first night and I didn't have that. And I thought, all right, what can I, what can I do? That's going to feel, that's going to make me feel like I, you know, did this to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting with the facilitators, um, and Maestro Orlando ahead of the second ceremony. And I said, 
you know, here I am and I feel brave, but I also still feel so afraid, Mm. like so, so scared. It was gentle the first time. And so I didn't even necessarily feel the full gravity of what ayahuasca could do. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted that. And so my intention going into the second ceremony was and I laugh saying it because I'm like, wow, you didn't fucking know. Um, so my exactly intention, what you asked for. <laughs> yeah. My intention going into the second ceremony was show me what I'm afraid of and what I'm capable of when I'm not. Okay, afraid. Maddie. All right. And looking back, I'm like, Whew. who are you? Like, why did you ask that? And I really, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't understand the gravity of that Mm -hmm. ask. And I'm just, you know, at this point I'm not kicking myself because it's brought me a lot, but wow, I really asked for it. And, and ayahuasca delivered. I had the hardest experience of my life. Hmm. I've only done ayahuasca three times now. I'm sure the experiences could get harder, Hmm. but, um, I, the first half of the ceremony was beautiful. It was hard, but it was beautiful. And, you know, I don't know if anyone can really truly surrender to ayahuasca. I'm sure that people can. Um, the, the truth of our humanness is that I don't know what that level of like true surrender is. I felt like I did some of that in the beginning. Um, and that was the first half of ceremony. Um, and there was a moment, a a split second where my physical body panicked Hmm. and the message to my brain was you're unsafe. Hmm. And it was so quick. Hmm. And the second my brain caught up to the panic in my animal body, my, that was the end. That was truly the end of what I was able to handle. And I lit up my little red light, which means that a facilitator will come over to you and (laughs) save your life. And, um, one of the facilitators came over and I just broke down. I sobbed like I, I felt like, and I don't know how it sounded and it also doesn't matter, but I felt like the sob that came out of me was like a newborn baby, just like truly so pathetic and so helpless. And that really was the beginning of the end of, I don't want to say that because it makes it sound negative and it felt negative at the time. Um, I'm sure everyone who's done ayahuasca that's listening knows that feeling, but um, in the second half of the ceremony, I truly, I felt so deeply that I had lost the thread so deeply and that there was there was nothing that I could do I had no tools left and even if I did had have tools like I couldn't I just couldn't find them because Mm. they're just in that space they're just gone um I'd I had lost the thread so far Mm. that I just became completely 
incapacitated to being able to wrap my mind around the situation. Hmm. And there was a good portion of time where I truly felt like the only way out was going to be to physically kill myself, mm-hmm. which as someone who's never felt that before, I was alarmed. And the crazy thing about ayahuasca is that like, you know, you're so fucking gone, but there's also, you're still able to make a story in your head and you can have like, there's, there's feelings and emotions that you can still kind of like tie together into some sort of weird I don't know. And so going through that experience of feeling truly suicidal. And that was the, that was the fear that, that prior to ayahuasca was really living inside me that I would lose it. Like that I would never come back. And I didn't think that that never coming back was physical. Mm. I thought that that never coming back was in my head. I would never psychologically come back. And then in that moment, I thought to myself, well, maybe I'm not physically coming back. Mm. Maybe I'm going to do something that's really permanent. And I, I did know that that wasn't the case. I did feel really, really safe. And I knew that, you know, I was still, I was in the Maloka. Could, I couldn't even get up if I wanted to, I don't think. Like, I don't think my legs were like- the motor skills to, to carry out your wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was both and at the same time of mm. being worried and also knowing that that wasn't going to happen. Um, but yeah, it was just, I was so, I was so beyond the ability to soothe myself that I just felt like there was no answer. And, you know, when the density of your human body dissipates to a point of never being able to put it back together again. Like thinking to yourself that like, I will never be human again, ever. And the immensity of that feeling is soul crushing, Yeah, truly soul crushing. Like the only thing we've ever known is to be human and to lose that. What else is there? Totally. And so the, the rest of the ceremony was, you know, at the people say, I've heard people say a lot that, you know, only 10% of the ceremony happens in the Maloka or wherever you are. And the, the rest of it is integration and it happens the next day and it happens in your dreams and all of those kinds of things. And like, God, that is true because in the ceremony, I didn't learn shit. I was just so panicked. Mm. Um, and you know, I got what I asked for. Ayahuasca showed me what I'm afraid of. And in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm going to see visions of scary things or, you know, being, you know, having home intruders and like all these things of like from my past that I felt like would come into the vision space and I could be like, no, thanks. Or, okay, let's go there. I'll look at that. And like, that's not at all what ayahuasca gave me. And so she's smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Duh. Um, and so I'm glad that I did ask that question. I'm glad that I had the bravery 
and the naivety to think that it was going to be something different so that I could have the experience that I got. Um, and the second half of my intention for my second ceremony actually showed up in my third. Um, show me what I'm afraid of and what I'm capable of when I'm not afraid. Hmm. And that wasn't possible in the second ceremony because I was so afraid. And so the capability of doing anything was not there. Hmm. But in the third ceremony, um, you know, I actually, I swore forwards and backwards that I wouldn't drink another, another cup. That, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I had a vision in the second ceremony of, um, an old woman lighting a match and holding it up and saying, you have to do this and never again. And I was like, cool. Thank you for that vision. That means that I never have to drink ayahuasca again. <laughs> yeah. Good to go. We'll get through this and then that'll be it. And all the next day. And even the day after I, I said to every single person, I'm not, I'm not going to sit. I'll be in the Maloka and I'll hold space, but that's not for me. And I don't want to. And, you know, everyone said, we've been there, but also you're welcome to make the choice and we'll support you in whatever that choice is. And, you know, I decided at the last second, I, it was my turn and I held my cup and I walked up to Maestro Orlando and I said to myself, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I said, I'll have a half a cup. And he doesn't know how to pour half cups. You got a cup. <laughs> so I got a cup <laughs> or maybe a little bit less than a cup. And um, I, I drank, you know, I left some sludge in there. <laughs> I didn't drink the whole thing. And I sat down at my mat and I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. And I thought, wow, I, I have a lot of regret right now. I think I made the wrong choice. I think I shouldn't have just drank that cup. And I said to myself, look, ayahuasca has proven to be really trustworthy. I asked for gentleness on the first night and it's exactly what I got. I asked for fucking soul crushing ego death on the second night and I damn well got it. And so just ask for what you want on this third night and you're going to get it and just trust that that's going to be the case. And if it's not the case, that it's also exactly what you need. And so I sat with it and it was beautiful. I had a, a, a physically ener energetic experience, kind of like the first night. Um, it was gentle. There were parts that, you know, oscillated and, um, but it was, it was really beautiful. And the experience that I had with one of the girls who sat next to me in ceremony was that she had a really hard time on the third night, um, a similar intensity that I had had on the second. And the thing that really stuck with me was that I had the only way that I was able to be there for her. And granted, this is after ceremony had, had closed. Um, she had the previous night sat with me for I think four hours after ceremony had closed mm. in the Maloka writhing and dry heaving and crying and pleading with God mm. who I felt like had abandoned me. <clears throat> she sat with me that whole time and she 
there were moments where she would try and offer something and I'd be like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to do that thing that you're offering for me, whatever, whatever. And, and what I really needed in that space, like I had lost the thread. I didn't have an anchor and her, her physicality of being there next to me was my thread. And that was what I needed. I just needed someone to be because I wasn't. And so the only way that in that third ceremony, I was able to even have any small inkling of understanding about what she might need in that space was because I had done it the night before. And so show me what I'm afraid of and what I'm capable of when I'm not afraid was that, you know, I, that was the, you know, if you want to crash course and holding space, that was it. Mm. Like, how can I, in my daily life, how can I hold space for people and meet them exactly where they're at and not have my experience or my ego or what I think that I know bleed into their experience. Like how can I truly be so fully present with someone and not offer anything Hmm. and just be their anchor? And I was like, well, that's important. That's not what I asked for. Or I didn't know I was going to get it. But for me, that felt like you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that experience had I not been brave enough to drink that third cup in, in ceremony on the last night, Mm. I wouldn't have had that experience if I had been too afraid to even go into the second ceremony. You know, the, the thing for me has been so heavily about fear and about control in all of my plant medicine ceremonies that always comes up. And in all my life ceremonies, that always comes up, you know, in relationships, in work, in, in everything. Mm. And so truly what a gift that I was naive enough to ask that question. And also what a gift I gave myself to be brave enough to, to continue on mm. and to have the curiosity to finish that out. You know, I felt like I, I opened a portal on the second night. And I think it was Aubrey that said, you know, we've, we've set off a spaceship here and like, we got to land the ship. Like, what are we going to do? Just set it into orbit and like go home. Good luck. (laughs) No. And so, yeah, finishing, finishing that ceremony out and being able to, you know, prove to myself also that I can do hard things Mm. and me doing hard things, you know, that's the only, that that's the only way that humans can human is to do the things and then connect with other people about being human. Like there's there at the simplest level that for me, and I'm sure other people have other ideas about what that first level building block is of being human. But like, if we don't experience anything, we have nothing to connect to other people about. And it doesn't mean you have to do plant medicine. Like I, you know, I don't believe that anyone should or must do ayahuasca or any plant medicine for that matter, but to 
be brave enough and everybody's everybody's level everybody's sort of you know breaking point is different about like what's too brave um but to do that next brave thing is what allows you to be able to connect with more people and feel into the immensity of how we are all connected mm. and like I just wouldn't have I would have felt different levels of that but I wouldn't have felt it the way that I feel it now also I'm like three weeks out of ayahuasca and I'm still I'm I'm in the lessons that continue to deepen <laughs> yeah they're they're still there um but yeah that was it, it's you know, the last 20 minutes is me trying to put words to the completely ineffable. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing and putting the effort to it. I think what stands out to me, I remember at points in my own journey, and I still, I think sim we're similar in this way that I struggle with not being in control, specifically of perception and I had an experience um, when I was down in Ecuador at one of the medicine ceremonies where I mean I just like I was not in control anymore and similar is that sort of breaking point and I've maybe only experienced that one other time in my life and it was so painful and it felt like embarrassing and shameful. But the gift in that was this realization that it's okay to be broken and be held by others. And you can still direct. Sometimes it's the only way. <laughs> the only thing. And sometimes, and it's because this is the piece I struggle with. It's okay to be broken and be held by others. And then you can also immediately after that, stand up and hold someone else too. And it's yeah. just a continual unfolding of that message for me that like, I can show up for someone with the raw authenticity with a tear in my eye and still show up for them though, still be there for them. And oftentimes like you said it's that embodiment of like this is something that happened on my medicine path as I was learning to serve mushrooms but there's a series of like six ceremonies in a row where basically they fucking they're like all right so we're going to give you every variety of negative experience that's possible so that you can hold space for people because if you haven't gone through it then how the fuck are you going to know what it feels like to be having a panic attack or to be fucking suicidal or to be whatever it is yeah interesting side note i often find in medicine ceremony the the suicidal thought is a key inflection point where an old story is dying and your body and mind are over identifying mm. with the story that's dying so in this case the story of control is dying and you're like well I guess I'm dying because controls a lot of me. So fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, drag me through these experiences simply so that I could learn to hold space for those things. And again, not always through words, although sometimes, but primarily through someone comes to me and goes, Alex, I'm fucking freaking out. I'm spinning out. I feel like I'm dying. And I can look at them and confidently say, I'm here for you. I know. 
you're okay. And there's such a difference in that. And I'm sure you experienced this. Like if you hadn't gone through night two, your ability to hold that space in night three would have been, you know, like, yeah, you're probably fine. <laughs> You'll be okay. <laughs> Versus yeah. like, mm, I know. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing that you can say to someone who, and you know, th- we can take this out of plant medicine. Hmm. There's nothing you can say to your best friend who just had her fucking heart broken. Hmm. There's nothing you can say to make that better. Nothing. But, you know, heartbreak is probably one of the most shared experiences. And if you've been through heartbreak, you know, there's nothing you can say. And you know that just having someone there who's been through that and who has survived it and can just be there for you and just fucking watch you cry and cry with you. Like that feels good for whatever reason. And it's because it's a shared experience. And like feeling alone in that, in that really negative space adds all of the soil on top of your grave. And so to be able to have the experience of literally anything in life and then be able to hold space for someone, like I I truly felt like this ayahuasca trip was an initiation for me in not anything particular, maybe, but not anything super in particular, except for that I felt like I was being initiated into a higher version of myself that is no longer serving me, but is preparing me to serve others. And it's taken me a long time because I've been really deep in my own work. And I have wanted to be able to help other people and not truly understood what that means. And like, my body knows what that means now. Like I have this really visceral understanding of what it means to hold space for someone and what it truly feels like to have space held for you, for me. And like, that's priceless. Absolutely. Especially for, you know, the types of events that you've been creating and want to continue to create. I think you learn a skill and back to your earlier point of just how to witness and how when we can witness someone in a true and raw expression of their emotion, we give them permission. And if we've gone through it ourselves, the thing that really creates the permission is there's no judgment of it. And so we give their nervous system the permission that it's okay to feel through that emotion. And then instead of it getting stuck, this is the reason it takes someone a year to get over a heartbreak instead of a month, is the emotion just gets stuck because they're telling themselves, well, I got to pull it together because it's unacceptable. And so it just stays there. But when you have a witness who has a nervous system that is upgraded in this way, that has gained this tool, 
you get this ability to be seen in your pain and not judged. And in that way, then you can tell yourself, this is okay. I'm allowed to feel this. I'm allowed to feel through this, which so yeah. much of our society does the opposite of. It's like, don't feel that. Like, oh, it's not the time for that. No tears right now. Yeah, because they've only been given up, you know, examples of, you know, children who are raised feeling an emotion and saying it out loud and say, and their parents say, don't feel that way. Hmm. Get over it. Right. It's not that bad. And it's like, okay, well, you're just reinforcing that none of that is real. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of the work I do with men ends up being, it's funny. Cause like so much of it, is just literally giving them the toolkit to learn what their emotions are because <laughs> you don't have words for it if you've been told not to feel it when you were younger you just all your words for it aren't there because they never developed and yeah. sometimes it's that initial just uh, investigation of like okay you feel angry what's under the anger or oh, like feel... what does what does anger actually feel like right where is it what does that feel like in your body oh you feel left out Oh, that's a lot different than angry. Okay. Hmm. That's a lot easier to process though. Yeah. A, a big portion of, you know, there's countless things that came up in, in the ayahuasca space, but something that really has carried over into life is that I have a highly activated nervous system hmm. always. And I've been committed to actually understanding what that means for me and asking myself like, okay, I feel anxious. What is that? Where do I feel it? How does it actually feel? Like I feel it in my throat. Mm -hmm. Like if I feel anxious, I, you know, that lump in your throat that you get mm -hmm. and you're just like, Ugh. Like that's, that's anxiety for me. It comes all the way up here because I don't, I've spent my entire life, not anymore, sometimes though, um, not being able to truly express how I feel. I, you know, I remember as a teenager um, being told, oh, you, you are like, you're my, you're, you have a black heart. And it was meant as a compliment from a place of you are able to shove down your emotions so well that you look to the outside world like you don't care about anything. And it comes from a place of, oh, in the past, my emotions have been really difficult for me. And the way that I wear them on my sleeve has been painful. And so how great for you that you can be so brave and that you don't have emotions and all of this stuff. And so being raised to feel like I didn't have a lot of feelings, thus never expressed them. No wonder my anxiety is here. It's literally my body being like, say it say how say you it. feel, say it. <laughs> and I'm like, no. It's so funny. Cause like, I remember 
maybe I was like 12 or 13. And, you know, just at the age where you're starting to get interested in girls or boys. And this girl that I was just thought was really cute. It's like, Alex, you're so robotic. Like, you're just mm. never affected by anything. And she said it again, to your point, as like almost a positive. And I love Jordan Peterson has this quote that I think is just so brilliant of like, if you really want to fuck up your kids, praise them when they do something wrong. Because mm. it just like, it drives that pattern in, you know, you get told you have a black heart, but it's a compliment. So you're like, I got my little superpower. Look at me doing the thing. And I really. But I held on to really tightly for right. my whole life. I was like, wow, I have a black heart. Go yeah. me. If nothing else, I've got this skill. Yeah. And we, or at least I had to spend so much time unpacking that because it, it just made it so that my emotions weren't safe to feel. And like in my own journey, I know where that comes from, from you know, just witnessing a lot of abuse growing up and kind of having to deal with just really difficult life circumstances. And I learned like, okay, the best thing I can do is to not have any emotions so that I can try and control my circumstances. But it robs the joy of life. <laughs> like, yeah, great. You can repress sadness, but that means you're repressing joy a lot too and not feeling fully. So yeah, it's just an interesting parallel there that jump to mind yeah you gotta you gotta go to the depths to mm. come back up from that mm. like we can stay baseline cool yeah. just live your whole life just super in the middle like no if you're if you're gonna go to the underworld like you're gonna go to the underworld and it's gonna feel real bad yeah then you're gonna get to go all the way up there too mm. and that's fucking dope yep even the underworld is like kind of fucking dope like, I don't know, there's a certain point in my medicine journeys where I, I flipped a switch to where I'm weirdly, like, masochistic about it now, where I'm like, yeah, I'm know, not there yet. <laughs> like, I know all of the transformation that comes out of the fucking difficult journeys. So there's a part of me, it's like, hmm, difficult journey today. Okay, big transformation. Let's do this. <laughs> I don't know what part of my psychology that is. But, you know, someone can psychoanalyze me in the audience. Um, so yeah, somebody somebody throw that in and we'll yeah. talk about that on another episode exactly it'll be episode 400 of alex's spilling his life on the podcast um, <laughs> so as we get towards the end here i think the other things i'm curious to know are just what is the thing in your life that's lighting your fire right now like what is the thing or things where you're like this thing is it like let's go. I'm fucking jazzed about this. Yeah. I, I'm jazzed about so many things right now. Mm. It's exciting. Um, I feel like, you know, there are pieces of me that died in ceremony. Um, I was convinced that it was going to be the whole of me that died, but thankfully that's not the case. Um, but there are, there are pieces of me that truly died and there's, there's a space where that used to live in my, in my body and in my psyche. Mm -hmm. And the thing for me that has felt really, really prevalent is, um, that because those have died, I now have to create. Mm -hmm. 
And there has been a, a creativity monster inside of me. Like I'm sitting next to my coloring book. Mm. <laughs> um, but I have been writing poetry every single day. I have been painting and that's not something I've done since I was a child. Mm. Like I brought watercolors to ayahuasca because I was trying to stay off my phone and you know, we all sat together at the, at the table and people who haven't colored or painted or drawn since they were children just got to be in that space and do whatever they wanted and see if they could create something. And most of us hated what we made, but we praised each other and it was just fun. And there's this piece, there's this like burning fire in me to just like create, 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 create. Cause I think, I feel like there's a hole. Mm. And it's not a bad hole. It's just a hole that needs to be filled with something. Mm. And like, how beautiful is it that I get the opportunity to have that space in my body? Like, how else would I have cleared that out? It would have taken, you know, people say that ayahuasca is like 10 years of therapy in one night. Mm. Like, yes, it is. Yeah, no doubt. And I feel like there's all this space and I can do whatever I want with it. So that feels really, really good. And like, I thought to myself, maybe I should learn how to play the piano. I haven't taken, I haven't done anything about that, but like, there's just something I feel so excited to, to make things. Mm. It feels so good. It's like five-year-old Maddie, the part that was like told to shut up and don't express yourself, feels safe. And so she's back. Like, let's make some shit. Let's try everything. Yeah, anything and everything. And it's just, it feels really freeing. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, I, you know, professionally, there's a lot going on. It's really exciting. I think there's, you know, there's opportunities for me and opportunities that I can create that are coming up on a daily basis, which just feels so good. Like I have, I feel like I have a newly instilled sense of it's a different kind of bravery than I had before, because I've always felt brave, but I've always felt brave in spite of my fear. Cause in order to be brave, you also have to be afraid of something. Otherwise it wouldn't be bravery. And I think actually now it's not I guess it's not really bravery because I don't really feel afraid anymore. I just feel empowered to try new things and to take new steps. And like, it feels, it feels like I have so much space inside of me that isn't filled with fear, like truly physical too. Like my nervous system was so intensely holding on to stuff that my body truly didn't have space for anything else in it. And now that I feel like that's releasing and I'm really committed to that, um, that portion as well of like really, really, truly healing my nervous system. Um, and I haven't felt that dedicated to something personal in a really long time. So that feels really good. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it truly feels like the world is my oyster and, you know, I'm three weeks out from ayahuasca and I'm like, is it still inside of me? Is that why I'm so excited about everything? <laughs> Have I been microdosing it secretly? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, I, I feel, I feel like there's just so much 
on the horizon for me. And that feels more like it's in service of others. Like, I feel like I'm at a place where now everything that's coming up for me is actually in order for me to be of service. Mm -hmm. And that is delightful, really. Like, it just feels so good. I love it. Yeah, it's it's self-trust. It's like, oh, yeah, I know I can do this, actually. I don't, I no longer feel, because I set down the mask, mostly. And so now I know I'm expressing as authentically me and I'm aware and trusting of my capability to be authentically me. The mask is what creates the fear of like, well, someone's going to figure it out eventually that I'm fucked Yeah, like up. what if it breaks? Yeah. And it's not my choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love seeing you so lit up. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> wonderful. You're just like shining. You're like, ah, everything's amazing. And yeah, it's good to see good people walk the path and get these type of results and get this type of just, I mean, it's almost like, you know, you had all the kindling, like throughout your life, you had piled up all the kindling, but then the fire's fucking lit. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of other people are going to get to light their fire off of that fire too. So yeah, it's really beautiful to see. Makes me excited for you. It's one of the reasons I like doing podcasts. I get like, like, great. So I'll just get a little bit of inspiration from here and a little bit from over there. And all right, <laughs> now I'm lit up for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Where's the best place for people to check out what you're doing, whether that's with Conscious Curious or just in general? Best place to find me is on Instagram at conscious.curious. I, um, you can also find my events business there in the bio if anyone wants to check it out um i do some event consulting and stuff like that for conscious experiential good stuff um yeah reach out if you feel like connecting on instagram there i am sounds good i'll put all that in the show notes yeah thank you for being on thank you for all that you do i appreciate your commitment to like creating these fucking experiences and now i'm doubly appreciative that you'll have this even deeper embodiment behind it too so i appreciate what you do and i'm blessed to have you as a friend so thank you so much thanks for having me on the podcast thanks for being a friend for damn near three years now and i'm excited to see you soon at our next gathering absolutely All right, so that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed jamming out with myself and Madeline. And if you did enjoy the episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review on iTunes that really helps us to grow the show. All of the ways to find Madeline's content are in the show description, whether that's through Instagram or wherever else. And you can also find me at my website, www.throughtheveil.co, and also on Instagram at Alexander Diesel. And without any more spiel from me, we can just end the episode there. I've got a couple of cool episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for those, and I hope you have a beautiful week and weekend. I'll talk to you soon.